Welcome to Defending Digital. I'm Chad Warner. In my last episode, I shared with you my summary of the book, Cyber Smart, Five Habits to Protect Your Family, Money, and Identity from Cybercriminals by Bart McDonough. I had the privilege of interviewing the author, and I have the video of that at defendingdigital.com, as well as a summary of my questions and his answers. But I thought you might like to hear the audio of the interview for podcast listeners. So I'm sharing it with you here. Welcome to Defending Digital. I'm Chad Warner. I'm pleased to have with me Bart McDonough, author of CyberSmart, Five Habits to Protect Your Family, Money, and Identity from Cybercriminals. You know, Bart, even before I finished this book, it uh, quickly became my favorite book about personal cybersecurity. Uh, it's so specific and really gives practical advice like I want to share with others. So today I'd like to learn more about how we should apply these lessons from your book. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. <clears throat> so you spend most of your time helping businesses with cybersecurity. So what motivated you to write a book that's for the individual consumer? Yeah. So, you know, in the past two years, I've done a, a tremendous amount of these end user awareness seminars for businesses. And they're about 45 to 60 minutes each. Uh, and, you know, I go through and most of the advice was around how to secure the business and how to keep all of the business assets secure. But towards the end of the session, it would always start popping up. Well, what should I do about my banking? What should I do about shopping? Uh, I, I had this question one time, and it really stuck with me. You know, th this, this kind of senior executive was going to go to their in-laws that weekend. And they were like, can I get on their computer? And it was all this specific advice. And I, felt, I just felt bad that I couldn't answer all their questions in the 45, 60 minutes that we had. So I started, I started creating notes. And it started out that this entire book was going to be a, a PDF handout that I could give at the end of these seminars. And that PDF handout went from a few pages to you know, dozens and then in the hundreds. And next thing you know, it was really um, uh, a book's worth of, of, of advice and recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely understand that. I used to work in, in IT and security was part of my role, but it was in the corporate space. And yeah, you know, we would talk to employees about their, uh, you know, the corporate IT security, but then, yeah, they'd always wonder now, once I go back home, yeah. what, what am I supposed to do there? So I can understand. Yeah, I mean, not too many people have IT departments at home, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe if, if, if they have a spouse such as yourself that, that, that's, uh, uh, you know, well-versed in IT, you serve as an I that, that IT department, but but for the most part, people don't know where to turn. So I wanted to have a resource. Uh, and, and one uh, conversation I had in particular with an executive out in, in Los Angeles, he was like, I just want to be able to turn to a section that talks about email security mm -hmm. or that talks about how do I secure my photos. And so in the second half of the book, it's much more practical advice, you know, very, very prescriptive. Uh, and and so I wanted to kind of give that that resource guide per her area of your, your tech life. Yeah. And, and that's very different than a lot of cybersecurity books uh, that I've read because a lot of them you're kind of wading through, you know, stories or just kind of, uh, you know, generalities, statistics. Um, and and it, you have to really dig for the parts that are okay. Now here are step-by-step -step <laughs> what I'm actually supposed to do. So that, yeah. that makes it a really great reference. So let's go back in time. Yeah. What originally piqued your interest in cybersecurity in the first place? So I've always been an IT guy uh, from college on. I've been an IT guy. Um, and what I, you know, IT was used to be, I would say, more challenging. And then it got to be a little bit more, uh, there was a right way and a wrong way to do it. 
uh, and and kind of white paper design and 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 then uh, cybersecurity kind of came along and, and the threat became more and more real. I'm a hyper competitive individual. I don't care if it's ping pong or whatever. Uh, I I love to compete and cybersecurity combined like my love of IT. There is a real competition going on every day with the adversary with the bad actor, um, and and it it also I think there you know when we think about is it, is it science or is it art? Cybersecurity, there's really an art to it. There's there's lots of ways to secure that that core asset, whatever that is. Um, lots of different ways to do it. Lots of ways to defend it. And that that aspect of it, that that cleverness, uh, really appeals to me. Um, and then lately, it's been you know it's it's also about helping people. I mean, it's such a it's so many people are affected by this. I mean, it's really be hard to find an individual. Of, of adult age, you know, teenage age and up, that that isn't doesn't have a significant portion of their life online, and yet they don't know how to secure it. It's it's like the example I give in the book around it's like living in a bad neighborhood mm-hmm. and not even knowing how to lock your front door. And so we need to we need to help people on these like basics. Right, right, yeah. I liked that uh, that bad neighborhood example because. Um, that that really makes it concrete for people is, um, you know, the, the internet is a, you know, a giant neighborhood and yeah, you know, it's just naive to uh, leave your, your doors unlocked, uh, leave your, your windows open. Cause uh, you know, unfortunately there are those bad actors out yeah. there and you know, if uh, you're not defending yourself, then unfortunately you're probably going to fall victim. So, yeah, the, sure. uh, so in the book, you, you know, kind of built the book around these five basic cybersecurity habits uh, now, out of all of these possible cybersecurity best practices, how did you arrive at at those particular five? Yeah, so so one, I I wanted to get have a have a manageable amount uh, because I think when you give people here's a hundred things you have to do, they do nine. So I wanted mm-hmm. to condense it down, uh, and then when we look at like efficacy of these recommendations, I found these are the ones that um, with the current threat landscape, with the current threat vectors out there. If, if people do these five and, and one lesson that, that, you know, really it's not just doing these five, it's doing these five consistently. Mm. And so uh, if you do these five consistently, we think your overall cybersecurity posture uh, consistently is going to be very high. Now that could change in a few years. If threat vectors really change, if people massively get away from email or if websites start having a new authentication uh, method, Maybe it'll change, but for now, uh, and I believe for the foreseeable future, these five are are really, really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, you know, some people they they see a you know a hundred point checklist, and they just immediately are like, "I'm not even going to bother." I'm out. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then the other the other issue that people sometimes have is um, they think it's it's binary, it's perfect security or no security. Uh, other than realizing that um, you know steps that you take to give you degrees of greater security are worth doing. Yeah, for sure. What, you know, my my the most frequent question by orders of magnitude when I give these seminars and I talk about the five things, uh, and one of which is use a password manager. Mm-hmm. And the most frequent question I get is, yeah, but you know, it's the uh, uh, eggs in one basket. And I say, yes, it is not perfect, but with the current 
threat landscape with the current authentication um, uh, methodology where you need to have a username and a password at all of our different websites. And on average, US professionals, I, the last I saw the data was around 201 different websites. A password manager is the most effective way to keep you secure so that you don't reuse passwords. We know reusing passwords is a bad practice. Mm -hmm. And so we have to go away from that. And so we have to go away from that. What is it? And so there's ways that you can use a password manager that are very secure, I'm sure like you do, uh, like I do. And there's some people that use a password manager that might be worse, right? If they used a very simple password, didn't have two-factor authentication. But in general, it is a better, people who use password managers are more secure than those that don't. Right. right. Um, but, but, you know, it's not, you're absolutely right. It's not binary. There, I say it all the time in the business world, there are no silver bullets. Um, we work with some, some very wealthy clients and sometimes they just want to write a check and say, I want this to go away. Sure. And it's, you know, as much as I want to take that check, uh, it's just not that easy. You know, it's simply just not that easy. Right. Right. The, uh, the fourth of your five habits is install and update anti-malware software. And you talk about iOS, just the way that it's built. Uh, there, there's not a need for anti-malware there. Uh, but Mac OS, uh, the operating system for Macs, uh, does. Um, now, how do you respond to people who say that uh, because they're using a Mac or they're running Linux, uh, they don't need anti-malware? Well, I mean, I would just look at, at, at the list of new malware coming out. Uh, I mean, the, the explosion of malware uh, on the Mac environment is, has, from a percentage standpoint, has outpaced Windows in the last couple of years. Um, it's, there's just a lot more uh, bad actors targeting that OS as it's gotten more popular, you know, even in the last, I don't know, 10 years uh, with, the, with the rise of Apple in general. Um, the iOS, like the reality is there's not an antivirus product that, that the iOS allows it to do its job. So they're, they're all kind of window dressing. Mm -hmm. uh, and Linux, you know, Linux is an interesting one because uh, there are not a lot of pieces of malicious code targeting uh, Linux. There are some. So I think you make a better case for not having malware on Linux than you do certainly for a Mac. But I would still, as a best practice, uh, install uh, some antivirus, anti-malware on, on your Linux systems, but certainly on Mac systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the book is a great resource. Um, I know you also provide a lot of information on Twitter. For anyone who's following you on Twitter, there's yeah. you know, just a, a stream of uh, learning to, to be going on there. Uh, beyond those sources, um, what ways do you recommend that people stay on top of uh, digital security issues? Uh, any particular resources that you'd recommend? You know, I really like searching on the hashtag cybersecurity on Twitter. I believe it or not, I think if you give that a, even a, even a, a regular consumer, if you just give that a five minute glance uh, every day, every other day, you're going to see kind of the top breaches. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the reality is the large news outlets now are doing a great job of covering the very large breaches. Um, I, I think, I think that's a great resource. Uh, I use that a lot. I do some Google alerts on various cybersecurity terms. That might be a little more for the professional, uh, but but uh, I, I really like uh, uh, Twitter as a as a good aggregator of news sources throughout. Yeah, and and I agree that uh, mainstream media has been uh, picking it up more. I mean, especially um, because uh, so many people are using social media. Any 
breaches that affect social media. I mean, Facebook has been all over the news for the last year yeah. plus. Um, and, uh, and so any of those things that are going to impact the, uh, the average person are going to make, uh, you know, the, the news and, uh, and even other breaches that are just, you know, used by a lot of people are, are more and more getting yeah. the spotlight. Uh, and so I think people are, are waking up more to, uh, kind of security and, and privacy related issues, um, as you know, it becomes less of a niche concern and, and more of a, a broader, um, national and even international topic. Yeah. One of the things I would say though, that I think the mainstream media misses or, or the articles miss right now is we're still, you know, at some point you can, you could almost, uh, it's, it's like a, a, a mad lib, you know, fill in the blank of the company Marriott, fill in the blank of how many records were exposed, right? What, what I think is getting missed is how with each of these successive breaches, we all become a little less secure um, as, as um, you know, there's, there's a lot of studies out there around uh, when, when I try to reach out to you and I know nothing about you, it's a pure phishing attempt and it, it just simply says, you know, uh, uh, click on this link because, you know, you graduated from XYZ University. If you never clicked on, if you never went to that university, you're not clicking on that link. But all of a sudden, if I say, Chad, I know what school you went to, uh, I know what years you went there, I know what degree you got, if I know, if I start piling on other bits of data about you, the likelihood that you click on that just skyrockets mm -hmm. uh, because they know you assume they know you. Um, and so what happens with all these breaches is some of the bad actors and the more, the more uh, sophisticated ones are starting to piece those pieces of data together and present that to um, um, consumers uh, as, as a, as a, as a, through some kind of phishing or social engineering campaign, and they're going to be very highly effective. So while Marriott might not have impacted you uh, directly as an individual, you changed your password, you did all that kind of stuff, the fact that they know where you've stayed and how your travel habits, if that can ever be used against you, you know, game over in a lot of ways, right? Um, and so I think we still have to think about how all these breaches, you know, kind of can, can work together. Uh, the fact that they got my photos on Facebook, who cares, right? Like, and that's, I think that's a lot of people's attitude when they first hear about it, uh, not knowing the incremental risk that it poses to them. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there is still a lot of uh, apathy about personal cybersecurity. Uh, do you think things like these breaches in the news are going to change that? Or, or what kind of things do you think uh, might happen to, to make more people care and do more to protect themselves? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. And what I think about a lot, certainly, was I, is I do these uh, uh, cyber awareness seminars um, and, 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 and certainly in the book. Because at some level, there is there is knowledge that we have to teach people what to do. And that's kind of the five things. But let's be honest, most people know they should have different passwords. Uh, most people know they should have antivirus and they should back up their systems. It, people might not know to use two-factor. People might not know to, to keep their devices updated. However, they know that. So the second half of that equation is motivation. Is how do they get motivated to actually do it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, I think this, the constant stories, unfortunately, uh, are an important part of that. And then, you know, the, the other bit that I think will get people motivated is when they have a story, they hear a story that's closer to home and whether that is someone they know or, 
you know, that someone they know knows or, you know, one of those kind of six degrees um, and it starts impacting them personally. I still think people think this is a big business, big government problem and not an individual problem. And, and, and it's increasingly, as you know, becoming an individual problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, you know, going back to your original question, I, I don't think uh, people are, are as aware as they should be or as motivated probably is the right word. I think they're aware, but they're not quite uh, as motivated to take action. Yeah. I liked how a lot of, a lot of your examples in the book are specific examples of individuals, families uh, who suffered some consequences of um, whether it was their own fault or whether they were simply a victim. Uh, and, and that really brings it home because, yeah, I mean, you see headlines and, you know, 773 million, um, you know, records breached. Yeah. If it, you know, if a person that, that maybe doesn't have as much of an impact on a person as the closer proximity of, Hey, this was, my mom, this was my neighbor, this was yeah. my friend. Um, you know, even though the, the scale of, uh, of people affected is so much different, um, it's the, the proximity, you know, we, we just care more about um, people yeah. who are closer to us. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's why the book, uh, you know, I, I do try to tell those personal stories and, and in, 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 the, in the awareness uh, seminars and the speeches, you know, talking about how people are getting their life savings stolen through this real estate fraud when they go to show up to their house closing and they got tricked, manipulated, whatever word you want to use to wire their money to a bad actor instead of to their attorney or to the bank. I mean, it's tragic. Uh, and this stuff's happening every day. I mean, it's every day is this happening. And I think when people hear those stories, as opposed to, you know, some government agency or a target, or, or just like you said, some report that it's 500 million or 700 million, like there's no difference to that, right? There's no, there's no emotional difference that drives a different behavior. Yeah. So same question, but this time about privacy uh, rather than security. So do you think people are going to um, ever really care um, about digital privacy? You know, is that, is that going to get better? Is that going to get worse? What kind of things might make people care, um, uh, particularly about, about the privacy side of things? Sure. It's, it's, it's so interesting. And I, I uh, um, watch the political scene here because I don't know. How, I, I do think there's a, a minor groundswell of people that are kind of fed up with Facebook. You see a lot of people dropping Facebook. And I think we all have friends that are kind of saying, okay, enough, enough's enough. I don't know if they know the dangers of what that, that those breaches you know, potentially cause. However, I do think there's, there's an interesting opportunity here in an era of very broken government, while here we're talking and the government shut down, uh, in an era of very broken government, I do think there's a chance for both political parties to come together and really take action against the these blatant privacy kind of uh, companies that are exploiting our data. Um, and one of the reasons I'm optimistic is I don't think right now either political party has a has a say in it. I think they're both like, yeah, I, I hate to say anti-Facebook, but they're both like what they've done is is really wrong and, and some of the actions are not are not um, uh, proactive enough, not aggressive enough. And so I do see there could be a, a big legislative push at the federal government that gives us greater control on our, on our data. You know, maybe like a GDPR that, 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 that the EU citizens ha- have, which I'm jealous of as, a, as an American citizen. I would love to have those rights. But, but uh, so I think coming to your question, do, do individuals worry about privacy? You know, I think 
somewhat, but I think oddly the government might take action that would give us all greater protection. I, you know, again, I put it with a grain of salt considering how broken government is, but I, I am, I am optimistic that that's an area that, that we can see some movement on maybe in the next two to six years. Mm. Yeah. And so uh, you and I are, are both um, working to inform people more about digital security, privacy, kind of get them motivated to uh, take responsibility for themselves. Um, and, yeah. and that's a good thing. Um, but do you think companies should be working harder to handle some of these issues for people? And, and if so, what kind of things should they be doing? Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, if we think about consumers, consumer facing companies and that kind of bit, absolutely. They should be protecting our data. They should be notifying when our data is uh, breached. Um, and, and I think most of the large companies do a pretty good job on, on, on security. Um, they don't do a great job on the response. Right. So they don't do a lot of great stuff on, on incident response. So that's one area. However, I would say our government needs to do a whole lot more on the security issue. We talked about privacy, but imagine this, like if, and, and I'm sitting here in, in New York city, um, if, a, if a series of helicopters just flew over and parachuted a whole bunch of bank robbers and, and people were running around robbing banks, the government would have an immediate swift response, right? Mm -hmm. at, at the federal state level, like everyone, but that's kind of what's happening every day. Like there are people that are trying to steal from us as individuals in the United States every day through ransomware and other kind of malicious means. They are trying to steal from us from, from these real estate frauds, all of this. Yet our government proactively does very little. Uh, and I'm not suggesting they counter hack or things like that. I think there are, there are other defense measures that we could put in place and, you know, I know there's trade-offs with privacy and there's, it's, a, it's a really complex issue, but I think our government needs to do more to protect the citizens from cyber crime. I think, you know, obviously the privacy issues is something that I think the government will take on, but I'm not as hopeful that the government's going to help us in the area of protecting us from cyber crime. Hmm. So uh, Staying on kind of the uh, that topic of what individuals can do, uh, what kind of things do you yeah. think parents should be doing to help their kids become more versed in digital defense? Uh, is it important that parents help their kids become tech savvy? Do they need to teach their kids to be cautious or even skeptical when they're online? Uh, what kind of things do you think parents should be instilling in their children? Yeah, the first thing, and I have I have uh, two teenagers and an, an almost teenager, uh, two 14s and a 12. And one of the things that, you know, I try to highlight are when there are scams, mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, uh, if you get an email that says Apple support, it might not be Apple support. Uh, if you get a phone call saying this is Microsoft, it might not be Microsoft. So there's just general awareness, I think, that kids need to be aware of that there are bad actors out there posing as the good guys, as a legit vendor. Uh, so that's, I think, basic one is kind of, uh, as, as I would say, you know, it's, it's overly technical, but the, the threat intelligence landscape, that's maybe probably not the, the terminology an, an average parent would use, but to lay the, to, to lay the groundwork, it's, you might get an email with a malicious attachment. You know, so much now with teenagers, they're not getting as much email as they are working on Snapchat or text messages or whatnot, but being aware that you could get malicious content there. And then, and not to, not to plug the book, but stick to those basics. Make sure you have different passwords. When, if there are secure accounts, turn on two-factor authentication. Make sure they're updating their devices frequently. Like, 
they might not want to reboot their devices. They might, you know, it might interrupt their Netflix or their Instagram, but you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when updates come out at my house, we just, I say, okay, everyone's updating their devices tonight, you know, throw them in a pile, let's all have dinner, put our devices down, let, let them uh, uh, update and then go back to them. So I think those are a few things parents should do uh, without, you know, without needing to be a cybersecurity expert. But, you know, I think we take for granted that we know there are scams and frauds and out there and just, we need to make sure our, our, our children know that. Mm-hmm. So, so those are some things that uh, a person can do to help children. Now, how about uh, on the other end of the age spectrum, how about people helping uh, elderly relatives or elderly friends? What kind of things should people be doing to help um, the older people in their lives? Yeah, it's not too different. Uh, so I, I think there, what I have found uh, is some of the, you know, elderly believe that when it says on the caller ID, Apple, or when the person says Apple, they believe it's Apple. So I think um, trying to make them aware of some of those top scams, certainly the ones by the phone, we tend to see those are very effective as, this, as, as uh, some senior citizens aren't being, aren't online as much. Uh, so they might be less prone to a phishing attack as they are to some kind of social engineering attack on the phone. So making them very aware of that. Uh, and then some, some, some other basics. Make sure they have complex passwords. Make sure they have a password manager, two-factor authentication. Again, all of these kind of basics that we find that if you do consistently and regularly, your, your posture uh, uh, increases. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really the beauty of, uh, you know, the five habits in your book is um, these are not things that you need to be an IT professional or a cybersecurity professional to um, right. be able to handle. I mean, these things are meant to be for the average person who's, uh, you know, just trying to make a way uh, through life online um, that, uh, you know, these are, these are, none of these are too high of, of bars to jump over. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that was the point, right? And, and, but it wasn't, I mean, I went kind of the other way of like, efficacy like what's going to have the most bang for the buck mm-hmm. uh and so we pick the and then but you think about it, they're not that hard and in some cases i would actually tell you a password manager um now with some of the integration in ios and all of that like it actually makes computing easier mm-hmm. and and simpler in times as as, as opposed to trying to remember which password was there, it auto fills it in or auto prompts you now on the phone. Like it's one of the few things with technology that makes you more secure and increases kind of that convenience. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's rare. Two factor doesn't, right? Two factors of pain. Um, uh, not that big of a pain, but it does add a degree, a step of, of difficulty or whatever. And, but, you know, updating your devices, it's more of a habit. It's just, you know, you're not on your devices 24-7, set it to update overnight, and you know, it, 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 you'll wake up to a safer device in the morning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you talk um, about uh, these being kind of cybersecurity hygiene habits, and uh, in a way that's, that's very similar. I mean, uh, it's not fun to brush your teeth, <laughs> but uh, you know, we understand Absolutely. that it's, it's beneficial to your health. Um, you know, exercise is not always the most enjoyable thing. Uh, you know, eating healthily is not always the most enjoyable thing. But right. um, you know, those, those things all um, help us to live a, a better life, a more healthy life. And so we're willing to kind of make that, that trade-off for convenience. And it's, it's kind of the same in the digital realm. It, it's really the same thing. In fact, we've been starting to use the term cyber wellness right? And cyber hygiene, cyber posture, all those terms to kind of give that parallel, right? Um, you know, and, and it's, by the way, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to lock our doors, if we didn't have smoke detectors, if we didn't have to have CO2, like all those things, but we do to 
give ourselves incremental safety, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and people sometimes are, you know, one of the arguments people hear or uh, that I hear frequently is is you know, and it goes back to your point earlier of like this this one or zero. I'm either secure or I'm not. Mm-hmm. Is they're like, well, if if China really wants to get at, get me, they can. So why should I bother doing anything? Well, I would kind of say the same thing about your home. If if a, if a militia wanted to break into your home, there's probably little you could do to stop them. But let's be honest, the, the most dangerous things that are going to happen to you are, you know, a candle gets knocked over and starts a fire and right. And your smoke detector is going to help you with that. Um, you know, things like that are, you know, are these basics, um, uh, door locks and, and alarms and all these basics. They just increase your security enough. Um, that that criminal behavior sometimes or that, that you know, uh, the, those common accidents that cause our property harm or our body harm, they, they go away. And, and you're exactly right. It's, it's a very similar parallel in, in the cyber world. So now, you know, you've had a few decades of experience in uh, the, the IT world, in security world. Um, you've seen a lot of the, the trends in kind of the industry. Would you say... Uh, that history has made you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of personal cybersecurity? So it's interesting. I, I was asked this the other day. I, I think we're going to have, I, I think it's going to continue to get worse in the short term. So I, I would say I'm short term pessimistic, long term more optimistic. Uh, I think, I think as uh, one, I think the, the vendors, whether it's the Apple, Microsoft, and all of the website vendors are getting so much more aware of it that they're going to build in some of these tools and capabilities and kind of force them to you. You know, it used to be if you wanted to upgrade your Wi-Fi router, you had to take a deliberate action and go do it. And now that's automatically happening. Um, uh, I think you, you're going to start seeing those, those kind of things. Two factors are going to be forced upon you by certain vendors. So I think we're all going to have our cybersecurity raised a little bit. But I think it might take a little bit of time. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a little pessimistic in the short term, but maybe that short term I'll define it as called three years, three to five, and then after that I think things could get a little better. Sure. So the, there's a lot of buzz about artificial intelligence. Um, how do you see that kind of fitting into personal cybersecurity? Do you think it's going to play a role? Do you think it'll be a net positive or a net negative for individuals? I think in the short term, it's going to be a huge net negative. I, I, I think uh, when I take, you know, and, and you mentioned the 770 million email addresses dump that just broke and you take the Marriott breach and you take all these breaches and I talked about, and if you have a really good um, uh, AI that's looking at all those piles of data, all of a sudden I can dynamically create a pretty interesting profile of you as an individual. Mm-hmm. And so if I take that profile and tell an AI, go fish this person using all of this, I think they're going to be pretty successful. I think the fishing right now is, is pretty dumb, pretty simple, pretty static. And I think if you were to put an AI on it, it could respond to you knowing how you respond and knowing all of that. I think it could be pretty devastating in the, in, in the short term until there's AI that is defending against it. But I, I think even AI with phone calls and, and, phishing, yeah, uh, uh, SMS phishing, scam smishing, things like that. Uh, I think it could be pretty devastatingly bad. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where that goes in the next few years. Um, because yeah, there's always that cat and mouse game in cybersecurity. Uh, and, and then to see, you know, uh, both the offense and defensive side using AI um, and uh, it just kind of yeah. interesting to see where that, where that shakes out. 
Yeah, it's it's a giant game of whack-a-mole, right? So it, it depends, you know. Uh, yeah, and I agree. That's where I think usually the bad actors are a little bit ahead because then the, the defense has to counter it, right? It's you're on defense for a reason, right? Um, so, yeah. All right. So, last question: um, Do you have any warnings, advice, encouragement, anything else that you'd like to share uh, before we conclude? I think you know, in addition to the top five, and and I would say one that I'd say for consumers. Uh, to really think about is getting their credit frozen. I think certainly after Equifax, you know, uh, uh, that's kind of on my my next, if I had to have a, a, a top 10, uh, freezing your credit would certainly be one of them. Um, and it, it, it you know, I, I had to do something for my son's cell phone last year and I had to, I couldn't do it because my credit was frozen. But while that was a little annoying and inconvenient, it also told me that if a bad actor is trying to take out a loan in my name, they couldn't do it as well. So it does, it is a good protection. Again, not perfect, but it's, it's, it's a good protection. Uh, also, I think if you're, a, if you're a business traveler and you're doing a lot of overseas travel, I think, I think you do need to take greater precaution when you're in certain countries. Um, uh, certainly China, uh, Russia, you know, the, the, the World Cup was just there. We had some high-profile client travel there. I think you do need to be aware of that. And, and, you know, a simple Google around what should I do when I travel to these foreign companies, you'll find lots of resources I talk about in the book. But I do think just kind of being aware of those things, using a, a VPN uh, can, be, can be very helpful, beneficial when you're on public Wi-Fi, things like that. Uh, a few different tips there. Um, but generally, my, my overall uh, is be aware of the data about yourself mm-hmm. online and know that it's going to be used against you. So Google yourself, check your LinkedIn profile, see what's on your public face, Facebook profile and know whether it's today, tomorrow, next year, that data is going to be used to try to manipulate you to do something. Uh, and, and, you know, that kind of awareness, I think, will raise people's uh, defenses a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I know several of those items that you mentioned, the, the credit freezes, the traveling, um, those are, those are mentioned in your book as well. So, um, definitely, uh, worth, worth looking at there. So Bart, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us today. Again, this is Bart McDonough, author of cyber smart five habits to protect your family, money, and identity from cyber criminals. And you can find my review of the book at defendingdigital.com, and also have their links to buy the book for yourself. So have a great day, Bart. Awesome. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed hearing the interview. Again, you can see the video at defendingdigital.com, and you can also see a summary of my questions and McDonough's answers. So I do recommend that you read the book. Again, the title is Cyber Smart, Five Habits to Protect Your Family, Money, and Identity from Cyber Criminals by Bart R. McDonough. And I have links to purchase it at defendingdigital.com. And also on the website, there's a resources page that has additional cybersecurity and privacy books. Now, what should you do? Step one, if you haven't already, you can read my summary of CyberSmart. Again, that's at defendingdigital.com. I'm sure you'll see that it's a book that's worth reading. Step two, you can buy your own copy of CyberSmart. There are links to do that in the blog post that goes along with this episode. And step three, as you read the book, pause to act on its advice for securing your life. That's all for today. You can learn more about digital security and privacy at defendingdigital.com.